and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, the show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. Thanks for being with us today. In the next hour, we are hearing about some wonderful initiatives that started at the kitchen or dining room table with a simple idea of wanting to do something to help. Our topic today is From Hands to Hearts, Crafting with a Cause, here on An Organic Conversation. Yeah, we all, many of us craft, many of us uh, have things that we're talented in, and just uh, to hear that people are taking what they do well and making other people's lives better with it uh, is really exciting for me. I'm really uh, really looking forward to where, what the, where this show is going to go. And it's such a great story, actually. Yes. Yeah, and crafting is is a hobby, right? I think it's something that people do to um, bring themselves joy in their spare time. So to use that activity as something that can also give back, I mean, I think that's that's really beautiful, and I'm excited to hear about how that's translated and the effect that it's had. And it's so easy, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. hobby. It's something we choose. We know how to do. We love. It's it's in a way effortless, if not more so, even pleasure bringing to us, and it can still change the world. Yes. Yeah. Exciting. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned for our interview about from hands to hearts, crafting with a cause. An amazing story that we will share with you today. That and more when we come back right after the break. it all right someone that loves you more than life right here you got willing arms that'll hold you tight and to lead you on through the night right here And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is from hands to hearts, crafting with a cause. We all have felt the sense of needing to do something. After hearing the news or reading an article that, for whatever reason, touches us in our core deeper than any other story, so much so that we are moved, moved into action. And Mark, you brought up this topic and the idea for the show um, because you have an example in your close family yeah, um, that yeah. inspired this. Yeah, my mother-in-law, Marianne Carr, and who's my mother-in-law. My four, she used to be a radio co-host with me. And for the love of produce. For the love of produce, and of course, one of my heroes in life. She and a group of uh, quilters in Glen Ellen, the town I live in, have been making a quilt for our Glen Ellen Village Fair for years that they raffle off, and then that provides money for nonprofits. But then they started making quilts, for the local children's home, the foster home, um, and they and they just delivered three of them the other day. And the idea behind it is is that these kids who their first day in the foster home will get a quilt, and that'll become theirs to help bring them comfort and 
give them something to hold on to during this time of transition. Literally. Something that's there. Yeah, literally. literally hold on to. And so it was, I was so inspired with the the work of the Glen Ellen Quilters that I wanted that that prompted this show. And then we found even uh, an even more amazing program that's going on right now. Oh, equally, equally amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you. <laughs> equally amazing. Equally amazing. But, and that's very right. far-reaching. Yes. yes. And very far-reaching. And a yeah. shout-out to Mark Carr. From Hands to Hearts, Crafting with a Cause, our topic today, and we will be sharing the incredible story of the Mother Bear Project with you today, a story that is as touching as it is beautifully showing the power of what we can create out of one moment of inspiration. With us now is Mother Bear, Amy Berman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project, who's calling us from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Amy, so great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you for asking me to be on your show. Yes, thanks for being part of the show. Tell us about the project. Where you, where did that moment of inspiration came come from? Um, you, you were reading something or hearing that news piece that we all have heard in one way or another. Can you share how this started? Sure. Um, I was reading a magazine article that truly stopped me in my tracks. Um, it was an article about the problem of baby and child rape in South Africa because of the myth um, that many men believe that having sex with a virgin will cure them of AIDS. And it was the first I had heard of this. It was written by a Harvard professor. Um, I got right on the Internet um, to do a little research and found out, you know, indeed this is something that happens. Um, and, you know, uh, <laughs> anyway, let's just say... Um, that although my background was journalism and advertising, and I just stopped. I stopped um, everything and said, um, you know, I've got to do something. In this article, uh, police and it was asking for items of comfort for these young victims, and I knew I absolutely had to do something. So that is kind of how it all started. And um, basically, um, I, I shut the magazine. I was haunted by the Im images of these children and um, it probably took maybe a day before I decided what it was I was going to do. And um, I thought about what had brought my children comfort when they were young, and an image of the little bear that my mother had knit from a World War II-era pattern um, came right to me, and um, I thought, that's what I need to do. I need to knit bears to send to these children. Um, but the only thing... The only problem was I didn't knit. <laughs> I had taken <laughs> a two-hour knitting course in college, which was 20 years prior, and, um, you know, I had no idea how to even cast a stitch on the needle. So that, um, that was how Mother Bear, well, that's how the idea came um, to start this. But, um, you know, the first thing I needed to do was to figure out if I could make a bear. So I asked my mom to show me how to cast a stitch on a needle, and... Um, I looked at her pattern, I kind of rewrote it to um, be understood by anyone who was just, you know, doing this for the first time, basically, um, who barely knew how to knit like myself. And so I muddled through the first bear, and um, and so it goes, you know, I, I decided that um, I was going to make copies of this article and show it to everyone I knew, and, um, and started inviting them into my home. Uh, and I, who could barely knit, was teaching probably hundreds of people to knit every week in my home. So let, let's let's um, walk us through that because I know um, when when I spoke with you last week, as a in the pre-interview, you were sharing that um, you know out of all the toys um, that your your own kids had, the yeah. the the old um, you know kind of ragged bears 
from you know their their very early days on were still one of their or the most dear um, toy they would hold on to. Yeah, you know, all the store-bought toys had gone by the wayside. They'd been given to charity. They'd been they were basically out of our house because my kids, um, you know, were not so little by the time. You know, this was nine years ago. Sure. And um, they were younger, but, you know, I don't know. I'd have to sit and do the math. But um, their, most of their store-bought stuffed animals were long gone. But the one thing they would never part with were these bears knit with love by their grandmother, my mother, that were made, um, you know, for them, and they were pretty personalized. Uh, my daughter's bear had knit braces. My son's oh. bear had one eyebrow, um, his l- only one eyebrow, the left eyebrow, because my mom likes to kiss my son on one eyebrow every time oh. she sees him, and she still does. So his bear had one eyebrow. And, <laughs> interesting yeah. that interesting that all the I I, I can relate actually um, out of the all the transformer super duper mega sure. toys that. I have. I, I actually paid money having the left arm of my teddy bear from way back when be back sewn on to the body because it's you know it was it was the most simple thing, sure. the most simple toy um, anyone could have, and yet somehow there was a different relationship than any any other thing was ever yeah. given to me. Let's just do a mini quick break. You're listening to an organic conversation. <laughs> I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Bouquet. And I'm Citarani Palomar. And we are speaking with Amy Behrman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project, who's joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota today. Yes, I love that story, Helga, about having your bear's arms sewn back on because a bear is something that everybody treasures. My my parents recently moved, and when they cleaned out the house, they brought select things to all of our siblings that, that they found that they thought we might want. The only thing that she brought me as far as toys and collectibles was the bear that I got when I was really little. That was the one thing she flew all the way out here. So, Amy, tell us about um, how this project t- has taken off. I know by this point you've placed 75,000 teddy bears into the arms of children in Africa. But what did it take to grow this idea into such a successful venture? Well, after a few months of inviting people into my home, and I think we might have produced 25 bears, not a a ton of bears. And in my head, I was thinking, wouldn't it be incredible if we could send 100 bears, you know, to Africa? You know, I was thinking that would be really amazing. And um, the city newspaper, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, did a big article. um, I think it was March of 2003 um, about this effort. And at that point, we needed to come up with a name. Um, we had no name. We had this big article, um, you know, in the paper, and it pulled. At that point, I had to like um, throw a bunch of. I had to figure it out. I really had to figure out how this was going to work because, you know, at that point, it was just something going on in my home, you know, and I had to figure out if. I'm inviting the general public to make bears with us. How was how was the general. response to the article when that came out? It changed everything it, overnight, right? It did change everything. I mean, basically, the next day, um, I was just astounded. I opened up a peel box um, I was using from from my sister's business, and it was just it was um, insane. It was just bags and bags and bags of pattern requests. I think. Um, you know, within a week or so, there were maybe 3,000 pattern requests. It was insane. It was wow. just, it was unbelievable. And so, so, you know, and so it began. We decided, you know, we better have a website. Um, at least we had a name. I, I think I haven't told you that the name came from the fact that my son, um, coincidentally, used to call me Mother Bear, you know. Um, 
I think he stopped once I decided to call this Mother Bear Project, <laughs> but, you know, I was Mother Bear for many years, and so I, I that's where I came up with the name. But, and, and, um, and, so, yeah. And, and you were saying that, um, that this pattern came from a pattern that your mom had? Yep. From yep. the Second My World War all the way back? By, it was passed, it, it was brought from someone from England. Um, it, it actually has passed through like three hands and then to my mother's hands um so and so you send that you send that same pattern out to anybody who wants to be part of it well it's been totally rewritten it's been changed um we also have you know we have four different versions of it we have a straight knit we have a knit in the round like a seamless knitting pattern we have a crochet pattern which um, you know, we we had to figure out in a seamless crochet pattern. And you have well, a people who really know what they're doing. And you have yeah. a group um, that is literally at this point spanning around or half around the globe. And we will hear all about that um, when we come back right after the break. We are speaking with Amy Berman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project, actually the Mother Bear, who's joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it's motherbearproject.org. If you're already curious to find out more, Amy, stay with us. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more. Are you a chef, have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com.
And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is From Hands to Hearts, Crafting with a Cause. The amazing story of the Mother Bear Project started by Amy Behrman um, after reading an article of child abuse in Africa and wanting to do something, sending a, um, a toy, a gift, um, a signal, a message of hope and comfort to these children. Um, and what started in Amy's living room as the Mother Bear Project is now an initiative literally around the world. Yes, I love this imagery of you You started by inviting people into your living room. And, and there are these stitch groups where women will get together, women and men will get together and spend the afternoon sitting and talking and knitting. And that has now grown across the world. So so who's making the bears now? And in what countries is the Mother Bear Project having participation? Well, yes, yeah, so we have knitters in every single state in the U.S. And we have knitters as far as Ireland. We have, there's a knitting group in Ireland and Scotland. Um, there's knitters in Japan. There's knitters in Australia, New Zealand, many in Canada, um, and as far away as Iran. So um, it's been incredibly amazing um, to see people wanting to do this all over the world. It's been great. How, how did they hear about the project? Well, I would, uh, my best guess is that it's just simply the internet. Um, you know, here and there we get written up in knitting magazines, knitting blogs. <laughs> um, you know, there's a Facebook group. You know, there's so much social networking going on, and, and I don't know half of what's, you know, being said here and there, but um, you know, usually I start getting pattern orders like crazy, and then I have to do some sleuthing to figure out, you know, why am I getting all these pattern orders today? You know, and sure enough, something's been written, something's been, you know, posted somewhere. So, I, I mean, I think the Internet has been um, an incredible boost for getting the word out about the project. And I go to knitting shows. Um, I didn't realize, because I was not a knitter before starting the Mother Bear Project, um, I didn't know that there's a whole world out there of um, knitters, crocheters, crafters. There's, um, you know, I, I want to say they're like trade shows um, all around the country, different times of the year. You know, sometimes Mother Bear Project has a sure. booth and we're there just trying to find new people to get yes. involved. And I've done a lot of that um, just to try to keep the project going strong. And, so, and going strong it is. And so... So, Amy, that's, that's so fantastic. And what I was just sitting here wondering when you were saying that Iran, Ireland, Canada, all these different countries, that there's these nitty, these stitching circles, what do you call them? Knitting groups. Knitting groups. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you find that, because I'm not a knitter, I don't know this, but do you find that there's that they all come from with different yarns or different uh, materials that because of the area that they are, or is it all similar materials that they're made out of? Well, we say, I mean, you know, there's certain knitting terms, you know, that I've learned. Like um, the bears are made out of worsted weight. That's what we call it, worsted weight. And so it's the right yarn for bears. You know, if, if people use too heavy a yarn, the bears get too big and too heavy. And that's really an issue when we talk about shipping the bears and trying to stuff 50 bears in a box. Um, so, so you did really maybe get those thing. in the beginning. Did you get some that weren't worsted weight? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten bears like the size of toddlers or bigger. <laughs> oh. I can't even talk about that. <laughs> wow. I can't talk about that right well, now. And it's... Sometimes those have been hand-carried. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's kind of a big problem. (laughs) Well, it's sweet too that I know you said you have four patterns now, but I remember um, in the in the pre conversation, you had said that even though people are following pretty much the same pattern across the world, because it's all done by different people, they they all turn out a little bit differently. They all have their own character and personality. And they all are a little something of the person who made it. That's exactly true. And the funny thing is, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I was meant to do this, you know, all along, but it's almost a savant-like quality that I have that I can actually remember who made what bear. Um, wow. Not 100%, but, oh, really? you know, I get over a 1,000 bears a month now, and I am constantly receiving pictures and emailing knitters, you know, their bears, and no one can understand how it is I can recognize the bear. But I... I do. I to me, it's easier almost than people now. Do you do you find that that people um, on the other side of the globe who um, you know want to help and 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 really find this idea so fascinating and the notion so loving that they do make a bear? For example, people in in the Middle East um, is that bear a universal image of comfort, even in countries that might not have bears naturally? Well, I mean, Africa doesn't, okay? So the fact that I'm sending bears to Africa, um, you know, it just, it it really doesn't matter that it's a bear. Um, You know, sure, bears, you know, here in England, I don't know, you know, I haven't studied the history of bears, but um, I think everybody who participates knows that this is just really a little cuddly. This is a little, like a doll. Um, This is something soft. This is something to provide comfort and love to a child who has absolutely nothing. Um, you know, so that's really more what it is. I mean, a lot of bears look like cats. Um, I mean, and uh, comfort. You know, there's a woman in Minnesota. Um, she is 98 years old, and she makes bears that look like characters. Like, um, oh, it's so funny. She has made bears. Uh, she made a bear that looked like Obama. She's made bear, <laughs> a bear that looks like Madonna, Lady Gaga. Um, Aretha Franklin at the inauguration, Justin Bieber. I mean, I could go on. Wow. You know, people, you know, the bears are fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's got kind of a dual thing going. You know, it's, of course, you know, a form of comfort for the child, but it's also, you know, you know, a huge source of satisfaction for the person making it for yes, a number we, of reasons. And we want to we wanna, um, dive more into the stories of sure. what happens once the bears are delivered and what you can yeah. share, because I know you're going to um, Africa every year, every other year, to make sure it's, it's distributed right with no right. political or any kind of other intention yeah. other than really um, giving something beautiful and comforting to the children. Um, we... Uh, stay on the line, Amy. Um, we're talking with Amy Behrman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's motherbearproject.org. We'll take a quick break to allow our very own produce expert, Mark Mukehi, to update us what's going on in the world of produce. Here's Mark Mukehi and what's in season. What's in season? That's right. And on the phone, of, of course, I've got Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce, the voice of the market, calling in to let us know what's going on at the market. Good morning, Earl. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Earl. Hey, good morning. Well, what's going on is 
we, we've had some record-breaking uh, weeks here. And when I say we, I, I'm not just talking about Earl's Organic, but the entire market. I think we've had this perfect storm of Mother Nature just conspiring with the weather's fantastic. We're getting great temperatures. Uh, and there's just an abundance. And with this abundance, there's a, a huge amount that you can sell. And so we have this perfect time. And when you think about it, when I reflect, I realize that the fact is Mother Nature can turn on you for a moment. I know a couple of weeks ago we all of a sudden had some rain. That, that was more of just an irrigation and really didn't create a problem, but that just reminds us that who's really in charge here? And you take the highs <laughs> and the lows, and right now it's a great celebration. Yes, who's in charge? Mm-hmm. Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Good so. Yeah, absolutely. I was just on the East Coast, Earl, <laughs> and, um, last weekend and you know, left to a, a, a rainstorm. So if there's any of the summer gardens and things out there in New Hampshire and, and Vermont and things all got a really good soaking uh, when I, when I was there. So I definitely get it. So what's popping? What's really sticking out for you this well, week? Well, you know, this time of year, there are so many, so many wonderful things happening. You walk down the, the docks of the market, and new things are popping every day. And I know Mark and I, uh, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, briefly touched on some things that I think we want to follow up on. Right, Mark? Yeah, I, I was hoping that we could do more than just tease about beans. <laughs> yeah, I know there's... There's a lot there. That, that's one of my favorite vegetables. So, I mean, when I cook a meal, it's, there's got to be beans in it almost any time of year. And right now is when you're going to find some of the best beans because it, it is early in the cycle of beans. And when it's early in the cycle, and cycle is about a 10 days, you get maybe two to three pickings out of a growing cycle. And the first pick out of a growing cycle, you get the most tender, the youngest. And... Right now, this is where we are, and you're going to plant, so a grower's going to plant every 10 days to get that cycle, and, in, and they come on best prior to the equinox. Well, really, either side of the equinox for a while, you get the same sort of sequential uh, development and harvest, and we're right in the middle of it. So June through half of July is the best time to be getting probably the most tender uh, regular, uh, beautiful small ones. If you like them, what now, kind of? I know I'm not getting. I'm kind of talking the green bean here, but there's lots of different varieties. Yeah, that's what I was just asking. What varieties are you seeing, quickly? Well, you see yellow wax. You see a Romano. You see the baby ones, the Haricot Vert. Um, you see the round ones, which is a Blue Lake or a or a Scarlet Runner. You'll see flat ones which could be a, a Kentucky Wonder or a Romano type. So, and, you know, that also varies a lot to, uh, in geographies because every little region has their own specific ones. Out here, the ones that seem to be the most popular are the round Blue Lake type. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have uh, bush beans and pole beans. There's two uh, different ways to grow them, and they have two different real basic uh, under needs. And one, if you're going to do a pole bean, that's more expensive to uh, handle. You got to put labor in putting the poles in, and as the bean grows, you got to tie them up. The benefit of that is you get more uh, more yield, you get more beans, but it also costs more. So a lot of the growers I deal with deal with a bush bean. There's less labor involved, a little bit less yield, but you're not spending all this money 
to get the bean. Great. Bean is where it's at. Um, Mark, maybe you get into <laughs> that <laughs> It's in a second. But Earl, you spoke when we talked about English peas that the wind kind of scars them. And they look sometimes, you know, in peas, they look um, ugly yeah. or kind of scarred bruised. on the outside. Yeah, bruised. It's not a disease. Um, right. And actually, it doesn't affect the 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 bean uh, the pea in this case itself is that the same uh, for beans it's it's a little less visible because the bean is hardier than than a pea uh, it's just a hardier uh, uh, thicker skin if gotcha. you will, so you don't see a lot of that gotcha yeah. but but if there's some scarring it's from wind as well and it doesn't affect the quality necessarily right precisely exactly yes. but but Mark will tell you all about you know how to pick how to pick those um, but you know, again, earlier in the season is your best is your best chance to get your best beans. Yeah, your most tender beans. Yeah, thanks for being cool. on. Thanks for, for being bean. on the show, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. So one other thing I wanted to share with you uh, that it, they, it basically takes an hour to pick twenty to twenty five pounds of beans, and, and when you're doing it by hand, and uh, the best beans that we find are the ones that are hand picked. So the fact is. You know, it's a highly labor-intensive uh, uh, item to grow, and it's worth every dime that you can pay for it. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you. Very, very fascinating. Thanks, Earl. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Great. Thanks. Take care. So there, you know, interestingly enough, on the, a lot of people will say those pole beans that Earl was talking about, when you grow green beans on a pole, have a better flavor. But yet, you know, most growers are using the bushes, which they have to plant every 10 days so because you, you only get a small amount of uh, beans out of that crop. So a couple quick, uh, some quick things about beans. So, you know, green beans that you love to buy in the store and are able to identify that this is a really great time to buy them. They are also, the, they're the same, they come from the same bean um, ancestor, which originated in Peru as kidney beans, navy beans, black beans. As a matter of fact, if you let a green bean mature it would have it would create a, a, a firm dry bean that you could eat later as, as like a cooking bean right um 60 of all the green beans um that are grown are grown here in this country and so when you want to pick them out you want to look for smooth a nice smooth feel with a vibrant green color and make sure that they don't have any brown spots or bruises because they'll break down really quick best way to test for freshness is bend that bean and it should snap and break if it's flimsy or limp leave it alone because it, it won't hold up and it's also starting to lose flavor and when you get them home don't wash them until you're ready to use them and you can keep them in a plastic bag in the refrigerator for about seven days and i usually put a little paper towel around them just because sometimes in the refrigerators depending on your temperature there could be it can form condensation in the bag and that moisture can help break your beans down so um, that's a great way to do it. Lastly, this is really, really the time. They're going to be the freshest. They're going to be the most tender. And if you like green beans at all, this is the time to eat them. As a matter of fact, this time of year, I barely get them into the pot because I just eat them fresh. And if you are going to cook them, one of the best ways to get the most nutrients is to um, steam them just for a short amount of time. And that's what's in season. Thank you, Mark. Yes. Wow. Beans. The world of beans. I love those names. Scarlet Runner mm -hmm. and Kentucky Wonder. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm sure they all taste just slightly different. Yes. And they're all a little bit different. Yes. Scarlet Runner would be a bean that you would mostly cook as a dry bean. Oh. And a Kentucky Wonder would be a long, flat bean that you Kentucky would Kentucky Wonder. I'm going to look or out for that. Otherwise known as a KY bean. Yes. 
You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palmar. Today's topic is from hands to hearts, crafting with a cause. We heard the story of Amy Berman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project, who started to send bears to Africa um, to children that have little to nothing and that are affected and victims of um, the HIV and AIDS pandemic in Africa and in other countries, actually, around the world at this point. More information, motherbearproject.org. Amy, thanks again for joining us today. You were talking about, in the first half of the hour, how this started and what it has become. Can you walk us through the process? You get about a 1,000 bears a month um, yeah. sent from many different places around the world of people who go to your website, download the the um, crochet or, or knitting instructions, make a bear. No, they send for them. They're not downloadable. They're all sent by mail. Oh, yeah. they're all sent by mail. Yep. Um, and then you get bears back. Where do they go from there? You get a 1,000 bears a month, okay. and then what? Yep. Every day I go to the post office and pick up boxes. I fill my car up with them. <laughs> just day. Um, so I open up each box, and I make sure that every bear is wearing a tag that says, With Love, Mother Bear, and is signed by the knitter who made it. So if they send me... 25 bears and only had one tag, I'll tag the rest of the bears with their name. Because when the kids get them in Africa, they ask the name of the person, and I point, and I, you know, or whoever gives the bears out will say, this is the name of the person who cared enough about you to make this bear. And um, the kids will then call the bear by that name. It's very sweet. Mm, So after all the bears are tagged, we have three groups around the Twin Cities that simply sew a heart, a red felt heart on every bear we receive. So that goes on. Um, throughout the month. And from that, after every bear gets a heart, um, we also make sure at that point that all the scarves are tacked on with yarn and that there's no holes in the bear. It's kind of like the quality control. Um, Then the bears get packed once a month, um, every month, and we have volunteers around the Twin Cities um, come from all over the place, and it takes about an hour to pack a 1,000-plus bears into boxes of 50. And then um, they sit in a storage unit and get sent throughout the month. And so where, 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 where do they go? I know you're sending bears not just yep. to um, over 20 African countries, but also to Haiti right. and Vietnam. Where, who is That's receiving right. the bears and how are they being distributed? Um, the bears are all distributed by, by volunteers, mostly Peace Corps volunteers, which um, for us is just absolutely perfect because they're working with these orphans and vulnerable children already in very rural areas where kids have absolutely nothing. So that is absolutely, you know, the most fantastic way for our bears to be distributed. Um, it's very, very, very critically important to me personally how the bears are given. Um, we also have people working in the AIDS field who give out our bears, but before anyone is allowed to give out our bears, um, you know, we have to um, kind of email extensively and I have to be assured that they understand what Mother Bear Project is about. And, and you were um, saying there's no political agenda whatsoever, right? There's no, no political, no religious agenda either. I mean, these bears are made by people of all faiths for all different kinds of reasons. And I want to respect them um, all the way through the process until the bears reach the arms of the children. So even though most you know, orphanages and schools, etc., are faith-based in Africa, our bears are not being used to make anyone say anything, do anything, change anyone. They are just simply unconditional gifts of love. And that's exactly what I wanted, and it's exactly, 
you know, where I focus a lot of my energy on making sure that it stays pure in that way. And you can see how much joy it brings the children. On the the website, motherbearproject.org, there are all of these photos of children hugging their bears and their faces are lit up. Can you tell us some memorable stories about the impact the bears have had on children? Yeah, I, I first want to tell you that um, most of the knitters, if they'd sent me a few shipments of bears, have seen their bears in the arms of the children. Um, we get photos of most bears, and I never promise anyone that they're going to see their bear because, you know, it just happens. And um, anyway, I just I just want your listeners to know that, you know, when people do make bears, a lot of times, I mean, the majority of them have seen the bears. Um, but as far as stories go, I hear them, and they're pretty incredible. Um, I got a call one day from someone who distributed our bears in South Africa. And in South Africa, there's a lot of child-headed households where both of the parents have um, died from AIDS and the children are raising themselves. And so um, this particular um, household had four children. The oldest was 16 and the youngest was eight. And um, the 16-year-old called my bear contact and told her this story. Um, It was rainy season in South Africa, and it was torrential rains, and um, the oldest daughter, the 16-year-old, told the other siblings that they needed to evacuate the house because it was falling apart from the heavy rain. So they all ran out of the house, and in their haste, you know, the, um, they took nothing with them, and the little 8-year-old boy said that he had to go back because he left his bear in the house. And the sister said, um, you know, don't go back. You'll be risking your life. You know, the house is falling apart. You could die. But he ran back, and he got his bear, and he did get out. And the sister said, why did you um, risk your life to get your bear? And he said, because my bear has a heart on it, and it means that someone loves me. So I guess that answered my question about... um, you know, putting a heart on a bear, I didn't know for sure that that was an international, um, you know, symbol of love. But maybe it wasn't even the heart. Maybe, um, you know, I suspect the love is felt in every stitch, you know. I, I think these bears are little, um, little, little items of comfort and love. I think um, it's apparent once the box is open. I hear it all the time from the Peace Corps volunteers. It's just, they're just, you know, it's amazing to see. Every bear takes maybe, you know, six to eight hours um, at the least, you know, to make. And um, that's a lot of love, you know, put in for someone that you, um, you know, have never met. And you were it's saying really... it does it does change the, the lives of the bear makers, too. Amy, we want to oh, yeah. offer people to, to get involved and to, um, you know, learn more about how one can help, even if you're not a knitter or or a stitcher, crocheter yourself. Um, So stay with us. We'll take another quick break, and we'll be right back with you for more. We're talking with Amy Behrman, the founder of the Mother Bear Project. That's motherbearproject.org, who's joining us today from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Stay tuned for more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. 
Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Watching the night sky Or a beautiful sunrise Well, there's so much they hold And just like them old stars I see that you've come so far To be right where you are And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is the Mother Bear Project, uh, from hearts, from hands to hearts, crafting with a cause. And uh, before we dive back into that interview with Amy Behrman, who's joining us today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, here's our very own Sitarani Palomar with her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. Well, My Holistic Bite is a weekly update on the world of well-being from holistic nutrition and fashion to skincare, because true beauty and well-being comes from the outside in as well as from the inside out. And this week, I want to talk about gluten-free grains. The term gluten-free has become quite a buzz term lately, and whether or not that's a food fad, there are a lot of people that are living with gluten sensitivities, gluten intolerances, and gluten allergies. Gluten is a protein that's present in a handful of grains, including wheat and spelt, barley, and rye. And it's what gives bread its structure and what produces the flaky layers in biscuits and pie crusts. But for many people, it's really hard in the digestive system. And optimal wellness begins with optimal digestion because that's where we are able to assimilate nutrients. So Common symptoms for people who cannot process gluten include gastrointestinal discomfort, headaches, achy joints, chronic fatigue, and skin irritation. So beware of ingredients in your skincare and cosmetics that might also contain gluten. Regardless of whether or not you're sensitive to gluten, Western societies, in my opinion, tend to overconsume glutinous grains, and the overconsumption of anything can be detrimental because then we're just overexposing ourselves to the same thing and, one, not providing ourselves the large range of nutrients that we can be getting, but also potentially developing some resistance to it. So looking at other cultures, they've enjoyed an array of delicious non-glutinous grains for thousands of years, and that includes rice and millet, quinoa, and buckwheat, just to name a few. And these grains are nutrient-dense, they're alkalizing, they are hypoallergenic complex carbohydrates that are rich in vitamins and minerals, like B vitamins and magnesium. And just as I advocate that you eat all the colors of the rainbow, because fruits and vegetables have a various makeup of these vitamins and minerals, 
minerals and you want to expose yourself to all of them, it's also important to remember that not all carbohydrates are created equal. So you should diversify your grains for a more rounded, nutritionally dense diet that can reduce inflammation, possibly help you discover what foods make you feel better, and offer you quite a lot of culinary adventures to explore. And that is this week's Holistic Bite. Not all carbohydrates are created equal. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sita. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Today's topic from hands to hearts, crafting with a cause, the amazing story of Amy Berman, who's the mother bear and the founder of the Mother Bear Project. That's motherbearproject.org, who's joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota today. Um, What started eight years ago in her living room by a handful of friends making bears to give comfort to children in Africa uh, now sends over 1,000 bears a month for a total of 75,000 bears so far to 20 countries in Africa uh, plus children that need comfort and need love um, in Haiti and Vietnam as well. Um, Amy, we were talking about the the impact on the bear of the bears on the children, really bringing comfort without any agenda, other than the love of the person who who made it. How how has this changed the person, the knitter? Uh, what are some of the stories that you've seen over the last eight years where it it affected the children as much as the person making the bear? Um, are you asking the stories of the children and their bears? No, the I'm bears? asking um, for the people who make the bears around the yeah. world. Um, you well, were saying yeah. it's as life-changing sometimes for the people making the bears, right? Yeah. I, I have seen, you know, for myself, and it's been one of my favorite parts of this project, that, that again, was totally unexpected, was to see um, how beautiful it is to see, um, like, elderly knitters who have found a purpose again to do something real, to make a difference in some real way, um, not just crocheting doily after doily, you know, but, but using a skill that they already have um, to give back still to children um, who actually really need them. And a lot of these knitters, you know, again, have seen their bears with children, and it gives them a purpose to get up every day. Um, I can't tell you how many letters I receive um, like that, and I, I think it's incredible. I have gotten letters um, and messages from people who are in hospice care, making these bears up until the day they die, um, able to give back still, and wanting to, you know, do something for a child that's direct. And, the, you know, the bears have given them away. And you, so. you shared the story um, during the break where some, I think a gentleman has really found his purpose in life, to some degree at least, um, by making bears, who has a, a record-breaking 1,500 bears made so far? Oh, you know, it was a, <laughs> yeah, that's a nun. That's a, There's a nun oh, in a Minnesota nun. who has made over 1,500 bears, and she, um, <laughs> was, she's an artist, and her bears, each one looks like a beautiful work of art, and um, every few months I will drive hours to pick up her bears. We become friends, and, um, you know... <laughs> this project has really opened up a whole world for me. Um, you know, it's, it makes the world seem much smaller. It has crossed all, you know, religious differences, um, you know, differences of all kinds, and it just brought people together. It's, 
this is a project for people who have their hearts in the same place. And um, knowing knowing that these bears are being made in you know half around the globe, um, as far as away as Middle East, again without any religious or political agenda to them, just to give love, it is it has become a peace movement of sorts, right? Uniting um, people yeah, around the world. I, I think so. I mean, we could we have people, um, you know, knitting the bears where we're supposed to be at war, you know, and it's. It just goes to show, you know, um, not you know, supposed to be at love, war. a person's love. Um, you know, it's an international thing, and yes. people understand that children need comfort, plain and simple. And that's what this project is really all about. So, hey, Amy. So I yeah. don't, I don't knit, at least not <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah. And so, can anyone participate? And what other ways can people help if they uh, okay. aren't knitters or crocheters? Sure. There's a number of ways um, that people can help. Of course, if you are a knitter or crocheter or no one, you can go right to the website and order your pattern. But if you don't, we have bears that have no names on purpose. Um, people can sponsor a bear. Uh, for $10, you can sponsor a bear for anyone, for any occasion, or for yourself, or for your mother. You know, it can be Mother's Day, it can be a birthday for a friend. Um, for $10, and you can use PayPal right from our site, you can sponsor any number of bears, um, you know, $10 a bear. And we will send that person a card and name the bear in their honor or bears. Um, that's one way. Who made um, who made those bears? Like, if if I sponsored a bear for yeah. ten dollars and my name would be on it, it would be yeah. the Helga bear. Okay. Uh, yeah. Who well, who would, who would make that bear for me? The bear was made by myself, my mother, you know, my sister, perhaps, or we have one knitter who she's a machine knitter. She's a the only one in the crowd um, who has made you know a few thousand bears. And she does not put her name on the bears. She lets them be up for sponsorship, which is really incredible. <laughs> so we have bears on hand by the score to be sponsored. Um, so that's great. And then um, in addition to sponsoring bears, we always need stamps. If somebody just wants to go buy stamps, stick them in the envelope, our address is on the website, that's a huge help. We go right through them. Because I write every single person who makes a bear. So I have all these little friendships. I have thousands of little friendships going. You and know, aren't they called, aren't they called bear ships? Um, so, no, um, <laughs> it is a nonprofit at this point, right? You yep, turned into yep. a nonprofit, super low budget. This is all directly simply to cover the the shipping cost and for you to invest some time basically running this as a full yep. full time job. Um, yeah, we also um, you know have storage units. We have two storage units to house the bears and the yarn. They're climate controlled and it's where our packing takes place. Yeah. Great. So anyone, whether you are a crocheter or not, mm -hmm. can go to Mother Bear Project and see how one can get involved. Again, that's oh, mother, yeah. motherbearproject.org. Yeah, financial donations. Just one month, the storage unit is $300. So, right. you know, if somebody wants to sponsor a month or two of storage, you know, what, what can I say? It would be fantastic. <laughs> what's, what's your vision for the future? Every, every child with a bear? Um, well, right now in Africa, I can tell you that there's more bears than lions. <laughs> I looked that up. I had to figure that out. The thought crossed my mind um, last week. But, um, you know... My real hope is that a cure is found and that there will be no more need for bears for AIDS orphans. I mean, that is a big hope. But, um, you know, right now, you know, there's over, uh, there's over 16 million children who are orphaned just in sub-Saharan Africa alone by uh, this AIDS pandemic. And so, um, you know, we've sent 75,000 bears. We've got a long way to go. Yes, and that's Amy Berman. Uh, the founder of the Mother Bear Project. Thanks so much, Amy. Um, wonderful work. And yes, if you're a listener and you 
again, have no skill set in terms of <laughs> crocheting or knitting, hey, Mark, don't laugh, uh, like Mark or I, then um, sponsor a bear for $10, motherbearproject.org. Thanks for joining us today, Amy. Thanks Thank for sharing so that much, story. Amy. That's wonderful. Again, motherbearproject.org. That is such an inspiring story and I love what she said about how love is um, love is international love doesn't have a language barrier or a religion and so everybody can can be a part of this movement yeah and no more barriers <laughs> <laughs> and it really brings up an interesting an interesting point that when we when we have a hobby that brings us joy we can share that joy with other people so I'm really grateful to Amy for creating this for so many children yes, wonderful. around the world .org. and yeah for Mark for you and, and I uh, we can sponsor a bear because neither one of us really knits all that often Uh, but what do you, what do you, what do we all have those? All that often? The, <laughs> Never. <laughs> we all have those gifts and talents, something that we do um, when we don't work. What, what's that for you, Mark? What do you do? Um, I, uh, in my life, I've been a, be a beater. Um, so uh, making necklaces and uh, bracelets and things like that. Cool. Um, write poetry, that type of stuff. So. Oh, neat. So and that's I, something I, to, to, Give to other people. Oh, I, and, I, and I have, yeah. I've never gotten a <laughs> necklace from you. No, you haven't. <clears throat> hint, hint. No, no, you haven't. I think maybe there was a statement there. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I picked up crocheting when I was in college, my freshman year of college. I thought it would be nice to have something, a hobby like that, something to do while I was not studying, you know. And uh, I think everybody I know got multiple scarves for Christmas and birthdays. And it's pretty much the only thing I know how to do, but I do find it to be pretty meditative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Helga, what about you? You know, you don't knit or bead or anything, but you are a musician. Uh, yes, like the crafts, just, you know, I love it, but I've never really gotten into it. But yes, I do. I do write and I do um, play music. And it's, you know, I think we mentioned this on the show a long while ago for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, I volunteered at a homeless shelter and played piano for three hours i would have done that paying money for it right because any any time i see a piano i'm on it i love it and yet so it was so easy it was something that i really so enjoyed doing and yet the joy it brought for the dinner during thanksgiving and to christmas was um, extraordinary so mm -hmm. it's funny how easy it can be for us and yet once shared how much joy it can actually mm -hmm. bring to others mm -hmm. something that we do at home if we can just bring it out And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. An Organic Conversation is a production of the Organic Media Network, associate producer Kristen Ponger. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and C. Tarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye-bye now. Bye.